Hello, and welcome to Podcastle in the Sky. Today, we're talking about two children's series, the series The Worst Witch, co-produced between CBBC, ZDF, and Netflix, and based on a book series by Jill Murphy that has been adapted many, many times. I think women between the ages of their late 20s and late 30s will absolutely remember the 1986 television movie that had Tim Curry singing a song. And we are matching it up today with the series Little Witch Academia, which was created by Yo Yoshinari and produced by Trigger. And I guess I'll just open up the floor for any questions or anything anyone wants to start the convo about. Introductions. Oh, yeah, and introductions. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm Amber. <laughs> I'm Jesse. Uh, I'm Tom. And I'm William. Okay, so yeah, just throwing this out there, besides the obvious parallel in the content between the two series, I found it interesting that they were both basically throwbacks to this older style of television storytelling, the episodic style, because in high-end prestige television, it's mostly about serialized storytelling. There is a, an overarching conflict that gets explored through every episode or kind of mostly explored, whereas Little Witch Academia and Worst Witch, they're more um, stuff happens in one episode, then stuff happens in another episode, and that's it. Little Witch Academia actually reminded me very much of watching Saturday morning cartoons. You just kind of turn on, oh hey, they're having their adventures, what new trouble will they get into this episode? Whereas Worst Witch... I mean, besides the obvious parallel to it in like other kids' shows like Full House or whatever, what it actually reminded me a lot of is sitcoms. The structure of it, just the way the conflicts are handled. Like a lot of the plots, it could have come from Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. Like, what are you all thinking? Yeah, was, I think for the worst wish, I mean, I'm not as familiar with the source material as maybe Amber is, but part of that, for the worst wish, is probably... Uh, it's an adaptation of a series that I think we said started, what, in the 70s, maybe? And so there's that throwback quality. I think it's sort of built right into the existing material, and so it lends itself to that sort of adaptation. And then Little Witch Academia is sort of an interesting case, because even with anime, depending on the genre, serialized stories have sort of died. Part of that is just because what's being adapted has changed, and also the episode count problem has changed. When you used to have these, like, 50-episode mammoth shows, you sort of had to put in this filler where it's there's plot episode and then there's, you know, there's beach episode three, four, five, six. Whereas now with 12 episodes, you kind of have to crunch down the filler a little bit, unless it's a slice-of-life show, in which case it's almost entirely these kind of little episodic stuff. But, you know, when you're adapting, like, light novels or something, it's all serialized, which can also be very frustrating because you almost never get full adaptations of source material. Uh, in anime anymore. I mean, sometimes you do, but it tends to be pretty, you always get, like, sort of peculiar in that way. You always get, like, a third or maybe a half of the story that's actually been told in the source material. And so it can be very frustrating to have serialized series that you absolutely know will never, ever get finished, which is sort of similar to TV, but with TV, it's sort of this weird thing where they feel compelled for, like, ratings reasons to just keep it going forever. But Little Witch Academia is interesting because, I mean, the first core is almost entirely episodic. There's very little overarching plot. And then really the second core is much more heavily focused on plot stuff but has some episodic elements. And so I think that the balance to me was refreshing in that way because you could sort of like 
enjoy individual episodes and you also felt like it was going somewhere. So it's sort of the best of both worlds in that respect. In the Little Witch Academia, <clears throat> visually it's a throwback to because it's hand-drawn. I can only see one point where there was actual CGI used, which was interesting. I'm not sure how they did it, but uh, the kind of hand-drawn animation I'm seeing is the kind of animation that you would only see in movies in the 80s, not in actual TV shows. So I assume they're saving money somewhere. Well, I don't know if it's relevant to the TV series, but Little Witch Academia actually began as a Kickstarter project. And it was a big deal because it was one of the, it wasn't the first anime series to be put on Kickstarter, but it was one of the first, and it was certainly one of the more traditional ones. Like one of the other anime funded by Kickstarter was a Masaki Yuasa short called Kick Heart, which is a little weirder, but this is a little more in line with what people would think of as an anime series. I don't know how that affected the series at all, but the original shorts that they produced were very nice, and very film-worthy in their kind of fluid animation. I have to say, like, okay, first, on the point of the episodic nature, like, yeah, I it was actually in my notes that both shows were crazy episodic. I mean, like, even children's shows nowadays seem to have, like, a core arc that you follow. And Worst Witches was rather simplistic, aside from the whole Agatha versus um, uh, the other one, the Nice Witch. <laughs> um, uh, I, I missed her name. Uh, you know, like character X. Yeah, 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 yeah. Character, you know, nice headmistress versus Agatha arc, which was kind of more just so that there was a true big bad or whatever, and everything else was just like, uh oh, what's gonna happen to Mildred today? You know, than than any kind of like real hard and fast. Like we have to discover the nature of blah. You know, and yeah, which I like too. Yeah. I like part of which I liked is I felt like both of these are are were shows that um kids would actually enjoy both of these shows because there's a, like a certain subgenre of kids shows now at least in the English speaking world it feels like the primary audience is like 20 to 35 year old adults who tell you how emotionally depthful they are and I'm oh, always yeah. like do kids actually give a shit about like some of these shits like I'm not saying that like kid shows need to be stupid or simplistic, but at the same time, there's like a place for joint adventure, and like not every kids TV show needs to be like this is what dementia is like. Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, No, actually. And so I I felt like both of these were things that kids could have fun watching. They might get something out of it, which is good and a bonus, but it also like might actually hold their attention and and be memorable for them and not just, like, exist to flatter the egos of middle-aged adults who want to watch children's no, television? That is actually exactly... That was another thing I put in my notes, that these shows were absolutely made for kids. It is just so blatantly for... It's it's a structure, both with Akko and with Mildred, being these girls who are doing their goddamn best and still not succeeding, you know what I mean? But it's not put into it. There's no real... Uh, like, it's not like, it's not like a Harry Potter, where if there is no success, then literal wizard Hitler is going to take over. Right. You know what I mean? It's more of just, like, a success for them, and, and even, like, Akko finding the words, which is admittedly, like, a big quest or whatever, it's more just, like... It's like a thread that, like, holds everything together. Yeah. It's sort of, like, it's interspersed in this very sort of, like, like, the only real... 
well, the theme is obviously it's not so much waking up magic. It's more like, you know, just working hard to try to be the best you can be at something you really enjoy or want to be while also being friends with people, even the asshole people or the people you at first think are ass. You know what I mean? It's like. Right. Or like it, know, it reminded me. I never saw it. I just read about it. So this is a weird comparison. But um, the prequel sequel to Monsters, Inc., where the, the lesson is really like, you're not going to be good at everything, and that's okay, which I think is actually a nice message for people. Like, it's not, like, you're not amazing at everything, but you could try and it'd be a good person and all these things. Yeah, and that's sort of, sort of the same thing, because, you know, Akka is, like, not pre-naturally talented at everything. In fact, she's pretty bad at everything, but she tries her best, and it might not always pay off, but, like, she's doing her part to be a good person, and that's kind of enough. And these are, like, very simple messages, but, again, it's like, that's the point. It's not like, well, you know, uh, the world is evil and corrupt, right. well, and uh, it's like, oh, well, it's like, no, it's just, like, to the extent that kids are getting in something out of this, besides the, like, oh, that was really fun when the silly magic thing happened, which is also fine, because, like, they'll grow up and, like, you know, there, there's plenty of time for them to discover that things can kind of suck. Yeah, you know, it's nice. And, you know, Little Witch Academia has some darker elements with the Croy story, but it's sure. not excessive. It operates on that level where I think anyone watching it can sort of get something out of it. And, it, you know, it has, it has modest goals and it succeeds pursuing them exceptionally is kind of how I would characterize it. Well, yeah, I think that one great thing about both of the series is that even though they're main characters, they're not the academic stellars. They're not the best at what they're in school for specifically, but they have other qualities that they still succeed at, you know, like that there's different things that you can succeed at and still be a success in that nature, even if you're not going to be the best of the best of whatever, you know what I mean? And I, I think that is particularly for the age groups that this is aimed at. That's like, that is right around like that preteen age, you know, that is right around, I think, when middle schoolers start to really realize that... That, like, some things are going to kick their ass a little bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, like, maybe I'm not going to be a doctor because science and me are not friends, you know, stuff like that. Like, right. And I think at that age, you can be really downhearted when you realize that you either have to work way harder at your dreams than you thought you were going to have to and or you may never achieve it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's just nice that there are these two kids shows aimed at little girls saying, it's okay, we all have our points that we're just really not great at. And you can admit that to yourself, but there's other stuff that you can be, you know? You don't have to be the academic star or... The queen of the witch knight or whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a a refreshing lack of chosen one sort of stuff going on. I mean, Little Witch Academia has, like, a little bit of that because it's, you know, the she's the key of the words, but that's mostly just her being the protagonist. It's, like, to get to her journey, she still needs to rely on other people, and Mm -hmm. obviously there's lots of failures along the way. Yeah, it's just kind of good, grounded entertainment. They're both pretty funny, which I don't think we've ever actually done like straight comedies before, have we? I don't remember doing it. No, only yeah. accidental ones. <laughs> yeah, yes. Garzy's wing. Garzy's wing. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, I have to admit, the worst witch, the humor was too broad for me. Like it was very childish, which of course is the point because it's made for children. 
But Little Witch Academia, the main character, Akko, she's just an idiot. And <laughs> the show <laughs> just doesn't apologize. Yep, she's an idiot. Look at what she's doing. And it's just pretty hilarious that way. Yeah. I mean, Little Witch Academia in particular, like, this is so good at using visual gags, like the amount of little detail, just put into every little motion and action is really, really special. Oh. And there's, there's the one episode where she's there's a character who's kind of like the techno-magic girl, and she's trying to build this giant ship, and Akko keeps trying to help her, and the, and the girl's just having none of it, and she keeps, like, jettisoning Akko out of her workshop in all sorts of ways, and, like, just the, the inventiveness of all the different methods that, you know, she just ejects Akko out of her laboratories. That's what I mean when I, you know, talk about whether kids will enjoy it. Like, there's a lot of stuff that, in the show that's just, like, really silly in a joyful way, and yes. it makes it very enjoyable. That episode, though, had several references that I'm um, pretty sure kids are not going to get, because, like, the sound effects yeah. are all from, like, Warner Brothers cartoon shows, and there's a Dumbo reference, and, the, you know, the transforming giant robot anime reference. Oh, no, that actually made me laugh out loud, especially with the reaction of the other witches <laughs> Yeah. I think it's one of those things that, on the one hand, kids may not get a reference, but they'll still respond to something as a joke. Yeah. Like, yeah, most yeah, people yeah. of our generation have encountered countless things through The Simpsons before we ever saw it in its original context. Right. Also, I think, you know, kids might get a Dumbo joke. It's not like kids aren't watching Disney movies. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. But, like, I, also, you know, like, <laughs> half the jokes from Bugs Bunny are stuff from the 30s and 40s that you'd have to... Yeah, it's like, like, buy war bonds, what are... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's always, like, a straight joke, and then those sort of references are, like, icing on the cake, sort of. Yeah, I, it's I not agree like that the, re- the reference is not the joke. It makes me think of, like, uh, <laughs> like on an airplane, I watch B-Movie, yeah, and, like, you know, the, the end of B-Movie is, like, a recreation of, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but, like, it's got the famous, like, Southern angry jurist, and I'm like... No ten year old just gave me like I remember inherit the wind like what <laughs> so that's the main thing it's like you know these little nods and references are fun additions which I mean is less a problem than Japanese shows anyway the whole like referential humor thing is or at least like an anime I can't speak to live action Japanese humor much it's not really my jam but this is another thing where it's like these are shows kids will actually enjoy because you know I remember seeing like clips of what's it called My, my Little Pony or whatever. And it's making all these references to Bioshock and stuff. It's like, kids don't know or care about, what, like, you know what I mean? I was like, this is designed for the 25 to 30-year-old viewer, not the actual kid. I mean, I understand we're on an anime podcast, so maybe I shouldn't judge people so hard for joining. Uh, <laughs> Listen, my shows about women with giant bazongas fighting with magic in schools are very thoughtful. No, but, but like, there's stuff in here that is genuinely enjoyable for its own sake, in an original way, it's not just referencing something else and being like, I know that thing. That's a joke. Well, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, some of the references that they do riff on may actually be known by some of the audience. Like when they do that whole episode on what is clearly supposed to be a reference to the Twilight books. And, you know, just it's like... There's right... that whole, like, Sleeping Beauty... Yes. Uh, yeah, which, Sleeping I mean, gorgeous Beauty, animation... Oh, again, yeah. It's like... Beautiful animation, but and it was definitely based on Disney's Sleeping Beauty. I mean, it was like, that was right. the dragon from Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's sort of like... So like, uh, yeah. 
And again, it's like the sort of thing where it's, you know, the Twilight thing. There's a whole message with that episode about how you connect to art and whether the process of creating art. Um, mm-hmm. Really nice little episode. And so, you know, the episode is not just like, hey, you know that Twilight thing? That's a thing that exists. Yeah. Like, you could watch it, you know, 10 years from now and not know about Twilight and still appreciate what that episode is saying. And similarly, like, with the episode where they go into the dreams that has the Sleeping Beauty references, like, really neat imaginative sequences before and after that. And that sort of reference is kind of icing on the cake and a nice little nod to animation past, but it doesn't depend on you knowing it. Yeah. So that's sort of, that's always the clincher or, you know, what makes it fail. Ooh. And I also, actually, I'm really with Jesse when it comes to Worst Witch, their humor. It was cute, but it wasn't something that would give me actual, like, laugh-out-loud moments. There are moments with Little Witch Academia where I really legitimately, like, laughed out loud. For instance, when she's talking to the Yeti and he shows her a whole bunch of trolls who was telling him he was terrible at his job on the internet and then she like tosses his phone into the to the woods like don't listen to those internet trolls i can believe in you you know they're like just like a whole thing like, right right <laughs> yeah and yeah, no, you know it's just, very funny or when she uh the whole thing when she accidentally flushes her fish teacher down well, that whole episode, to be perfectly honest, had me laughing throughout the moment when she realized that the fish had been talking the entire time, the moment when she realizes that the mineral water she was putting in her water was bad for fish, the jiggling and the the whole, like, slapstick with the dropping the fish down the drain. Like, just, like, one thing after another, just, like, that episode I found legitimately funny beyond just being, again, aimed towards kids, but I definitely thought it was funny, you know? Good timing. Yes, the show's very good. Some of that is, like, sort of, this classic sort of, you know, triggers pain. Their last few shows were sort of these weird uh, one-offs, whereas this felt like a sort of kid-appropriate kill a kill or something like it has a like relentless energy and it's not just that things are always happening in an exhausting way but it keeps impressing you with how not only are things happening but things keep happening in such like an inventive way that also continues to make logical sense even though the story itself might be like a state of chaos you always understand what's happening you understand the physical space and everything but it's just like stuff a minute Mm. and it always keeps moving and i appreciate that element I think also we talked a little bit about how the show is very good with children, but obviously, as I mentioned with the Kickstarter, it's very popular with anime fans as well. I mean, it's been popular since the original short a couple of years ago, and Trigger has kind of consciously worked with that. For example, they had a kind of wacky comedy series like a year or two back called Space Patrol Luluco. And that series had the characters go through space and in one episode basically visited a kill the kill type planet. And in another episode, Susie, Akko's friend, makes a cameo for just because they can, basically. So they're aware of this audience in the same way that obviously the My Little Pony people are aware of them, but they're not letting that dominate the show. Yeah. I also thought one thing that was very interesting with the adults, and particularly the villains of both series, is that the emotions driving them are very understandable to a child. Because in one case, it's about two sisters, and one sister feels like she's been displaced by the other sister in, in Worst Witch. And in Little Witch Academia, it's a case of two friends who went their own way, who had a big falling out, again, over personal issues. 
I'm all, it's a little more complicated in Little Witch Academia. It's a little more emotionally fraught, I think. In both cases, I think for children, they can relate to these situations. They can understand these. These are very well constructed psychologically for kids. It's all psychology that's relevant to their experiences. Um, yeah, I also- particularly, like Amber said, like that's sort of the time when, like, you know, right around 10, 11, to 13, that's sort of when, like, your childhood friends and your teens start forming, and those groups are not always the same people. You know, there is that, like, transitional phase, and so it does sort of, like, link, and particularly with Little Witch Academia, it kind of links into that uh, in a sort of nice way. I really liked how the quote-unquote rivals in both are very, very good academically, first of all. So the bullies are still high achievers, but they both have kind of, you get to see why they are such pains in the asses for our heroes, but it still doesn't make them any less of a pain in the ass, you know, like, so you can have this sense of the children sympathizing with their rivals without it necessarily being that they're going to be bestie friends forever and ever, which always kind of makes me a little sick when children shows try to do that or books or whatever. And another thing I really liked was that her friends were incredibly capable. I love that Maude wasn't just like, well, I guess Lottie fell more into the capable witch girl who, or not just witch girl, but just capable student who has the glasses and is a bit quiet and stuff like that. But Maud does not. Like, she mouths off all the time to, you know, the uh, bully girl, if you will. And she is also rather capable. You know, it's like, it's just nice to see the little glasses girl not be like, the quiet, demure one all the time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that they went against type for that. And I don't know what it is about shows with a threesome of friends, you know, but it's very uh, nostalgic for me because, to be perfectly honest, three is actually a really good number when it comes to friends. I don't know if little boys do the same, but it it's not a grouping that I haven't seen before. And I have had that same grouping when I was growing up or even in college or whatever. I'd have, like, friends, but I'd have this core group, you know. So, I don't know. It gave me a lot of flashbacks of my own childhood, if you will. Well, I also had a group of three for a very long period. Yeah, well, one thing I noticed about both of the shows is that they both are very much about the English class system. It's pretty obvious. I mean, it's about this exclusive school just for people who have special powers just from being born, which is which is basically the English public school system, which is what they call private schools in the UK. But Little Witch Academia, they're not as overt about it, but it is clearly based on this whole British public school novels and so on. So this exclusivity, it's all like Oh, you're a witch. You're from a witch family. You go to witch's school. Oh, Echo, she's from a non-magic family. Oh, wow. She totally doesn't belong here. Although the main class conflict in Little Witch Academia is actually um, middle class versus upper class. Like, Echo is supposed to be, like, the commoner, and the rest of the witches and the characters are upper class. Like, the guy is a politician's son, and the mm-hmm. others are all born into this. But worst witch... The class conflict is a lot more stark. Like Mildred, she lives in an apartment building and her neighbors are living in these government houses and stuff. It's just full of like working class signifiers. 
and then she manages to get into this super exclusive school, but only by accident, because normally she would never be there. And throughout her entire time, they keep reminding her, you don't belong here, you don't belong here. It's like the plot of like half the episodes, or maybe like 75%. And even when her friends are being nice to her, they also remind her of how different they are from her. Like, um, she was talking to, uh, I think it was Enid, like about her uh, teddy bear, and Enid suddenly just goes, oh yeah, I had an actual bear, you know, like everyone else did. And, you know, it's all these little things that just keep reminding her she doesn't know how to act in this world, and her mom even is pretending to know about this kind of thing, just to fit in with the other parents on parents' night. So it's very kind of working-class scholarship student who has gotten to an exclusive school and trying to fit in desperately. Which is interesting because the um, earlier version of The Worst Witch, the 90s one, there was a 90s version. It, this Mildred, she was also from a non-magical family, but it wasn't as big of a thing. She got into the school because of an essay application. She applied openly. She got accepted. It wasn't like some exclusive secret thing that no one knew about. And witches knew about the outside world. They had CD players and so on. Cars, etc., etc. It's not like some Harry Potter muggles versus wizards thing. And even going back to the original books, the class conflict is not there at all. I don't think it's even mentioned that the problem of Mildred is that she's from a non-magic family. It's just she's a bad student. That's it. That's the reason why she is the worst witch. Which makes sense because it's based on the author's experiences in girls' private school. And if she's in private school, she's from the class that goes to private school. So she's never going to question why she's there. She's never going to be, I don't fit in here. She does fit in there. She's supposed to be there. She's just a terrible student. That's it. It's just interesting that they've foregrounded this quite a bit in the uh, latest version of The Worst Witch. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I was just remembering, like, it's been a while since I saw the movie from the 80s from long ago. And now that I think about it, I don't remember anybody, like, saying she didn't belong there because she was not from a magic family. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. I I didn't catch that at all as moving away from the source material, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just a reflection of people's decreasing faith in the sort of meritocracy and also i mean private schools in general sort of feel i mean they've always been sort of this foreign thing for people for most people but they're sort of you know because i mean they're coming at it from different places little witch academia and or switch in the sense that little witch academia is sort of drawing its depiction of the sort of private school from sort of you know stories about private school and that sort of you know, there's tons and tons of anime that take place in, in private schools and girls' private schools, and there's sort of there's a certain um, obviously uh, romantic aspect to this. It's like girls' school environment, whereas obviously it seems like the creators of the most recent worst witch made a sort of deliberate decision to sort of emphasize the sort of how foreign the private school experience is and, and poke some holes in this. There's generally speaking, I think culturally and you know maybe some of it's a little silly and maybe maybe it's just fine but sort of push back the idea 
the like whole chosen one narrative of stories and the sort of like again the, the sort of like meritocracy idea where it's like well you just write the best essay and everything turns out for you well maybe not i think the creators of the most recent one probably made a very deliberate decision to sort of because you know if they're trying to make a show that speaks to children they probably wanted you know to make it relatable in the sense that people come from these sort of working class backgrounds and not you know because you can either go two directions you can go pure escapism and make it so they where they come from this world of no worries and you know everybody's wealthy and well off of something or you can sort of put just a little dose of reality in there not to the extent that it's kind of the doldrums it's like hey you're you're poor and everything sucks but just where they can sort of note like, hey, I recognize some of that in myself. And so I think they probably made a, a pretty deliberate decision there to bring contemporary realities into the show just enough. Also, I think like the gap between rich and poor in the UK has been increasing over the last few decades. So that might also account for it. I do wonder to what extent in part it's influenced by the fact that The Worst Witch is produced public television. It's made by a German public broadcaster called ZDF, and presumably a little more prominently, it's also made by the CBBC, the children's arm of the BBC. So they're not making TV shows for people who are rich enough to send their kids to private schools, or at least they're not making shows just for those people. I thought it was interesting that Worst Witch kind of plays with certain chosen one elements as the show goes on. Is her mother secretly a witch? Is she secretly related to a witch? And eventually there's the lie where she's the niece of the headmistress. It plays with these little ideas that is there something to be found in her backstory that validates who she is, but nothing is given or just she has magical ability, so she gets to be a witch. It's not something about her family history. Whereas, obviously... We also see a character, on the other hand, because, you know, they're not just serving that audience who's being kind of constrained by the expectations placed on her by coming from a very prestigious family, in which she resembles Diana Cavendish on Little Witch Academia, although Diana is both more confident than her Worst Witch equivalent and also more sympathetic in some ways. She's a little more together as a person, because that character, she's it's not that she's a bad person, but... Because she feels so unloved at home, she's always acting out in school. I find it really interesting. Actually, the sister relationship between Esmeralda and, uh, what's the baddie's name again? Uh, (sighs) She's going to hate us for this, you know. She's always trying to make a name for herself. She's always shouting her name, I'm something (laughs) hollow. And no one can remember her name. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the worst thing. Ethel? Ethel? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Hang on, I'm gonna gonna make sure about this. It's Ethel. It's Ethel. Ethel. I I thought that was really interesting because I thought that that was super relatable. You've got your wonderkind, who is the eldest, who can do no wrong, and is clearly the favorite in her family, and Ethel trying to prove herself constantly to her parents, and getting so angry when she couldn't. But what I really liked was that Esmeralda knew what was going on and hated it. And that, I think that there's a lot of kids out there, unfortunately, who can really, really relate to this feeling of seeing their siblings' pain and not wanting that, you know what I mean? And, like, constantly trying to fight against it and constantly trying to tell the other, you know, sibling that everything's going to be okay, you know, and and feeling the resentment, you know what I mean? 
And Ethel, too, who's constantly trying to prove herself. I thought it was interesting when they finally said that Diana actually had to work to do everything. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't a natural at magic like her mother was. Because it was very, very similar characters there. Where it was like, aside from, you know, their base kindness levels, I think. You know, Diana was snobby, but at the same time, she wasn't going to turn Akko into a frog. <laughs> and that was friggin' and, attempted murder, like <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and basically almost murder another classmate in the name of like you know being angered. <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't know. I I just thought that it was really interesting. Like it's just a, like lots and lots of characters who are completely relatable. Lots of reactions that are completely as a kid that age would react. You know, as an adult, you can look back and see the reasons why the adults in your life acted the way that they did, you know, and, and also like earlier you mentioned that this is like going on a totally different tangent now, but earlier you mentioned Tom, I think about the mom in worst Witch saying stuff just to fit in. And I thought it was interesting because it's like another instance, it's like in both shows of you get to see the adults be competent, but also see them fuck up. And that's, again, this is about the age range where you start to realize that the adults in your life are humans and capable of being wrong. Right. But it's also not the other, like, irritating kids show thing where it's like, not just that adults are flawed, but adults suck, man. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, yes. No, it's a little no, more like, also, they're just big people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All their problems. Yes, exactly. Like, they're all big people. They're big people, they fuck up sometimes, but they are also capable people. Like, I mean, her mother, for sure, uh, she did the research to understand her daughter's school, that's for damn sure. You know, it was just neat to see the adults be capable (laughs) and not fall into that old children's show trope of making it so that the children have to do literally fucking everything to succeed, you know, like, against the whatever uh, well, yeah, I I gotta say, like, um, worst witch. It was a full. It was a. There was a bunch of like major crimes committed there, which was like, if you step back a bit, this is actually pretty horrifying. Like, I mean, there was all we've mentioned the attempted murder when Ethel changes Mildred into a frog, and you know, a very vulnerable frog that can be eaten by like a fox or whatever. And there's also the part where Maud tortures her classmate for intel. Like, um, oh my god, that's right. <laughs> she she like, flies him, or flies her, sorry, into the sky and threatens to throw her off a broom unless she tells her <laughs> what she's asking about. I was like, um, damn, didn't they, didn't the U.S. do this to, like, Vietnamese prisoners in Vietnam? Like, throw them off in helicopters. And, you know, yeah. just, like, messing with people's memories and that kind of thing. That's like... Oh my god, the memory one really messed with me, because, like, first it was like so one of the friends is just randomly making her friends lose her memory so that they're never mad at her and then the adults also are making the headmasters forget shit it's like yeah we all have forgetting power it's for those awkward moments in life guys come on like that's just what happens (laughs) yeah Yeah, but not even just like the headmasters we discover that maud's father has a pocket of forgetting powder, which he uses for multiple unspecified situations. Oh, God. I mean, I'm not trying to imply anything too dark with this, but I'm just saying presumably the idea is that whenever he makes a mistake in his regular life, like at his work or with family or something, he's just breaking this out. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like if the show was not the kind of show it was, if this show was aimed at a different audience, there would be some real discussions about that forgetting powder. (laughs) (laughs) Like, on this show, we we just understand that if it's used at all, it's only used for very specific circumstances nobody would. Although it is illegal in this world, isn't it, now that I think about it? It's also something that is, you know, getting back to the kid thing, this is relatable to kids. If kids have screwed up a couple of times in school, they would probably prefer their parents not to know about it. And so you're sitting this, watching this about a character who has the ability to literally make her parents not know because she makes everyone forget that she did anything bad. But in making people forget that she did bad things, she creates other problems. So there's also a lesson here about being a rounded person. You know, this idealized version of yourself, this perfect version of yourself, it doesn't exist. You shouldn't try to fake your way into it. You should be accepting of who you are. So while the implications of the concept are kind of weird if you stop to think about them, the way they're used in construction of the story is, I think, very nice and healthy for the series. I agree. Although the one complaint I had about that particular episode really was that it basically implied that the only way that Maud could have possibly been friends with Mildred is that she's either constantly cleaning up her mistakes or being part of her mistakes. You know what I mean? Because, like, it just wipes everyone's memory of their friendship at all, which was like, eh, you're kind of, that's a lot on the nose show. Come on. <laughs> like, there's, there's certainly moments where they talked to each other as best buddies where antics weren't occurring, surely. But... Isn't their friendship kind of built out of these constant situations where they're thrown into jams? Like, she becomes a friend because she tries to help her out with the broom, you know, by pure accident. So the emotional core of their friendship is that they're always getting into jams and they're always helping each other out of it. That's why they relate to each other. When you take that out of that, they're just people who kind of know each other. That's a good point. But otherwise, I totally agree with your point about, I really enjoyed how they made that lesson stick. I mean, most kids' shows are like, the stakes are so divorced from reality, you pretty much do whatever you want, but (laughs) you just embrace that everything's totally insane, and it stops becoming weird, basically. It only becomes weird if you take it seriously, and since it's not, then it's like, whatever. All about presentation. And like most kids' shows set at school, very little of it is actually about doing schoolwork. It's all about stuff they do to avoid doing schoolwork, or stuff they do instead of schoolwork. Or they're doing schoolwork because of some other personal project of theirs. They're um, researching this spell or that spell or something. Like, uh, we have this image of magicians being surrounded by books and being completely nerds academically, but we don't actually care about seeing that kind of stuff being done. We just want to see them getting into adventures. Uh, I think the only magician show I can name off the top of my head where academics is actually a pretty important thing is... The Magicians, or actually more like the books than the TV show, where mm-hmm. it's basically a magic graduate school. And there is a big portion of their thing done with like writing their theses, a thesis and defending their um, projects and so on. Exactly what I want for escapism. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm out of there now, so... I can yeah, watch yeah, it through. I, yeah, I know I'm out too, so... I was two years Great. out by the time I got into the book series, and all I could go was like, oh, oh, oh those times, you know, like, there was never a moment where uh, I was on the floor weeping and going, I just can't anymore, I can't. 
But you're doing fine, Todd, I'm sure. Like <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done too, so it's all it's all over. <laughs> now I just have to find a real job. Oh, oh no. yeah. Woo! Surely it's Please someone. Hire me. <laughs> I stopped doing retail. I had the customers from hell yesterday. Anyway, back to the podcast. Although it would be kind of depressing to imagine any of these characters at that point, having grown up, get out of the world, you know, Echo at a restaurant somewhere. Well, Echo, Echo just turns into, what's her name? Her teacher. Oh, Shiny Chariot? Shiny Chariot? Yeah, she just turns into like, a giant dork. Echo's like, um, Echo and Shiny Chariot's goal to make the world happy. It's it was kind of vague for me. I was like, what the hell does that mean? She wants to be David Copperfield. That's her her thing for world peace. Like, yeah, I yeah. yeah I mean, I'm just. Gonna I think pretend. it works in the context of a kids show. Like yeah. everyone's happy. I, I think it comes back to the scene that they keep repeating for her, which is her at Shiny Chariot's show. She wants people to feel the way she felt watching that performance. Right. You know, I think that's kind of a very direct thing. She wants people to feel this thrill, this rush, this joy. So it's a bit like, you know, probably related to the, the people who work at Trigger. You know, they watched anime as kids. They're blown away. And now they want to do the same. So while she, she doesn't directly reference the idea of being an artist, it is in a sense about being an artist, about sharing your talent with the world. I'm going to guess, too, also just in the context of the show, it's actually not a bad plan on her part since magic had been dying over like about a century and a half or so to start a new PR campaign for witches and magic now that they like reopened that door in the wood you know you know what I mean like Grand Triskelion or whatever yeah 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 yeah. I I kept reading it going how do they pronounce it what are they saying like I kept like yeah the grand (laughs) anyway the point is Maybe not actually a bad idea to have somebody on the road, like, showing up magic, making it part of the world again, because it looked like it had kind of stagnated heavily. Like, that one scene where um, you're in the old Cavendish family library of medical magic, and it's all kind of dreary and wet and ruins, and now they can go back to, it might not be the glory days ever again, but they can go back to uh, doing kind of a combined thing, like what Constance does or whatever. Yeah, well, you know the witches. They did stop a yeah. nuclear missile on global TV. So that's <laughs> yeah, pretty much go. raised the profile of magic all over the world. Well, yes, yes, but you got to stay ahead of the trolls, you know. So send out one of your most recognizable witches and let her kick up the mood. <laughs> it's a constant marketing is a constant campaign. That's what I was saying. <laughs> It's also this kind of thing about Akko's emotional response to magic being something that others have lost, like the villain in Little Witch Academia who desperately wants the Grand Triskelion. Mm-hmm. When she finally sees it, she's like, this is the Grand Triskelion? This doesn't fit the kind of grandiose, serious image that she has of what this should be. Crux Smrides, that was her name, I'm completely butchering that pronunciation. But Akko has this sweet honest, direct approach to magic, which, although she's famously not very good at magic, this enthusiasm begins to slowly impress everyone around her. Like, Diana Cavendish is completely blown away by her performance about the type of the middle of the season. And that's the point where she starts disengaging, because she's worked really hard at magic, but she realizes that there's something natural about Akko's magic that she doesn't have, that she respects, even though she has a much deeper intellectual understanding of what magic is. And eventually, we see 
not these things in opposition, but they work together. The uh, highly intellectual approach of Diana Cavendish and the pure guts of Akko. I thought that was one of the sweetest things in the show, those characters finally coming together to solve the problem. It was just very, very nice. And I didn't cry, but if I was going to cry, I would have cried at that point. (laughs) (laughs) There's two things I'm glad the shows didn't do, because both the shows have this sort of thing running through them, where it's like, magic, magic is dying, the world is changing. Um, You know, and for a while it seemed like it might be this, like, modernity and technology is evil. But it doesn't do that, actually, which was satisfying to me, because it sort of, they saved a day with a merger of both. So that was nice. I like that it wasn't just like, hey, kids, he is bad. This being said, this depiction of not Twitter as a horrible place that validates all of your worst impulses is completely <laughs> correct. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I really think that was a kind of meta commentary. You know, a bunch of animators and writers, they probably get a lot of shit on Twitter, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm sure they do. But so I was glad I didn't do that. And like Will was saying, because you run into that classic movie thing sometimes, where, like, the people trying to be good and responsible are just treated like total shit by the narrative. And, like, the annoying person who's just a total jerk is treated like the hero. But in this show, Ayako is a lovable idiot rather than just a jerk idiot. But also, like, it allows her and Diana to be friends. Diana's not just, like, some, like, knob with, like, a stick up her ass who needs to, like, chill out and just, like, feel it, man, like. You know, they're both allowed to have their different methods and succeed. So I like that it didn't that it didn't do either of those things. Yeah. Um, both of these shows, they're very deep into these British stereotypes. I mean, worst of which, it's a castle surrounded by rolling countryside. And Little Witch Academia, it's this cartoonish notion of the United Kingdom. Like, uh, they start a nuclear war over a soccer riot. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's because their emotions are being manipulated by magic, you know? Right. Uh, but also, they love the football. So. Yeah, you know, they love the football. This isn't strictly relevant, but it's a detail the moment I realized it, I really loved it, is that um, Diana has two hangers-on throughout the series who are really more jerks than she is. They're very dependent on their relationship with Diana. But the great thing about them is that one of them's called Hannah, and the other one's called Barbara. Oh, I didn't. It took me a long time to get that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I wrote that down immediately after <laughs> that. I never caught that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important we we say this, because that, that's great. Hannah Barbara was a animation studio. <laughs> yeah. We, we... we have to explain that now? <laughs> we guess yeah, well, and it's definitely, I guess, something that, you know, kids watching the show are not necessarily going to get, because do kids even watch Hannah Barbara cartoons anymore? Mm-hmm. They probably still do. Anyway, carry on, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Um, no, no, I was just like um, feeling kind of cynical when I was watching the show about the soccer riot. I was like, soccer riots, that's more of an 80s, 90s thing that's kind of died down by now. And I was thinking, now if like the anger that Professor Kwa was harnessing was over the Brexit referendum, well, that would be more plausible. Okay, I thought it was really interesting that they planted that soccer riot three or four episodes deep because, like, they kept making mention of this soccer playoff or whatever, and like, I kept going, "What the fuck with the soccer playoffs? What's what's important? Are they going to do like a soccer? Is this going to be like a sport episode?" (laughs) Like, you know, what I'm wondering is why are they so coy about naming this rival country? 
Uh-huh. Who are they talking about? France? Germany? They're coy about naming either country. They never actually name the country they're in, although it's extremely obvious it's Britain. And when you look at a map, it's Britain. Right. And obviously, the other country is Germany. You know, they even refer to it, you know, as their traditional enemy, that kind of thing. You know, references to World War II. Oh, but, um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Are we sure then it's not France? I, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, you're right that, like, in the long arc of history, France has been Britain's enemy much longer than Germany has. But when I think of football and I think of arguments about football being related back to war in Britain, it always seems to be Germany. Like, the time they beat West Germany, or West Germany beat them in the 60s, that kind of thing. I forget which one it is. But also, like, football riots and big football things still happen. Like, a couple of years back, a French player used a handball in a game against Ireland, and the ref allowed it. So France would get to play in the cup, and Ireland wouldn't. And I'm kind of garbling the details here because I don't follow football, but the thing is, when that happened, everyone in this country cared. It was a Mm. huge deal. It was a day everyone gave a crap about football, I mean, screwed over in favor of France. So it, it's not completely absurd that there would be a major incident about football. What's absurd is how big it gets. And I think that that is justified by the emotion. Well, that was why the colony was dropped on Dublin, so it was, you know, yeah. <laughs> There's another Gundam reference for everyone in the audience who loves our continual year-long references to the time that Gundam dropped a colony in Dublin. Well, let's go on. <laughs> never, never forget. I mean, never forget. Anyway, we should probably wrap this up. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Would, one more, just uh, one more thing about... Yeah, wait, go wait, ahead. Wait, 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 wait. One more thing about country references. I straight up had to, like... I was so intrigued by Lottie's background that I straight up, like, Googled where the fuck her family lived because I was, like, somewhere in the north northern countries but which one finland finland yeah like that was interesting that like they were so they were vague they were really vague but they actually did their research re whatever nations they happened to land their characters in so i was like props to you nerds who write this show i like you susie's apparently from the philippines but you never got that from the thing yeah yeah anyway okay continue (laughs) anyway so Go in the old order. What do you recommend these two properties, Amber? Yes, I okay. Wait, let me caveat this. I would recommend Little Witch Academia for adults to watch for sure, just because if you like cute stuff, just because it's actually well written, it's well made, it is legitimately funny. It's not gonna be like super super deep, but it's still like it's got some heart, uh, some good strong heart to it. Worst Witch. I really do feel it really is made for a certain age group. I wouldn't tell adults to go out of their way to watch it. But if you have kids of a certain age, heavily recommended for kids, for sure. I have a feeling that in about 10 years on the internet, we're going to be hearing from a bunch of 20-year-olds who are nostalgic about Worst Witch. Uh, Yeah, I'm agreeing, actually. Little Witch Academia, anyone can watch it. It's good for all ages. And Worst Witch, yes, it is very clearly aimed at the kid demographic. Having said that, though, I mean, as a kid, I watched even worse TV shows, so this one is not that. It's actually pretty decent, and yeah, you can watch it if you're feeling uh, curious about the whole thing. Um, I'm not sure if you can watch the 90s Worst Witch. Like, I, I didn't really watch a lot of it. At that time, I was the exact age group to watch it, but the wrong gender. So I was like really 
leery of watching it. It's like, oh, it's a show for girls. That's not for me. I might get cooties if I watch it. But <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit 90s. I watched a few episodes recently for this show. Although, point of trivia, Felicity Jones, who was in Rogue One, she was in the 90s first witch. So that's interesting. I think the rest of her castmates went nowhere. And also, I forgot to mention this, but Worst Witch, the child actors, some of them, they're not that great. You're like, uh, they're kind of awkward. I looked it up, and I think Maud is getting recast, apparently, for season two. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so Little Witch Academia, that is a thumbs up. Worst Witch, yeah... I'm kind of, yes, kind of no. There are worse things to watch. And if you're a kid or have kids, yep, you can go for it. But otherwise, you're not missing anything. It's not revolutionary. It's it's just kind of nice. Yeah, you pretty much both covered exactly what I was going to say. So I will just say that I agree with both of you. And William, you can have your thoughts and take us out. Okay, I mean... I substantially also agree. I think Little Witch Academia, in addition to just being something you could watch as an adult, I think it's one of the strongest anime released this year. I think it's a very excellent series. Probably the best that Netflix has, although I haven't seen some of the most recent series, so I might have to revise that, but it's definitely up there. And Worst Witch, well, the main headmistress reminds me a lot of this entertainer I knew when I was in elementary school, this woman who would come into school, and she'd pretend to have magic slippers. And we were young enough to sort of believe her, because, you know, we were that young. She has a certain kind of same attitude, which seems like very good with children as a performer. So I think kids are going to relate a lot to the adult performers really pitching their presentations in ways that kids are going to appreciate. And also, I'm just going to say the words the lodger, and I'm not going to give any context for it, because I can't justify them. Oh, by the way, I might have said no during Jesse's part, like quietly into the mic. It's because my cat was trying to go for my yarn. I am so sorry. It was not in any way, shape, or form me. (laughs) You just felt so strongly. (laughs) Disgusted by you. (laughs) I can't believe these views I'm hearing. I thought it might have been over, like, the Maud actress, you know? Poor kid. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, yes. thanks for listening. Wait, wait, wait. So what are, we doing next time? what are we doing next time? Okay, so if you like that reference to Double Z Gundam, and if you've enjoyed our Twitter account periodically and usually without much context posting references to Gundam, but are wondering at what point is this podcast ever going to deal with Gundam at any length, if you're that specific person, well, you're going to like the next thing I'm going to say, which is, Our next episode is going to be about the Mobile Suit Gundam Trilogy, the three compilation films released in the 1980s that were based on the original Mobile Suit Gundam series, Mobile Suit Gundam 0079, as it is also known. So those are all the various names of the thing we're about to watch. And it is going to be paired with the original trilogy of Star Wars, something you may have also heard of. So we'll be looking at these iconic pop culture franchises that have dominated the media internationally and in Gundam, certainly in Japan, for many decades, and the characters in them, and hopefully have quite a bit of fun with it. Oh, I guess I'll do our little show about we're available on iTunes. Leave a review, please. It's fun and nice to hear nice things. And on Stitcher, and we have our Twitter feed at Flying Podcastle. 
And you can find us also on our WordPress site, which is just Podcastle in the Sky. So, yeah, find us. And also, I do want to show, like, I'm about to post, oh, I'm not quite sure when this is going to go up, but I am going to post a series on random watches of various shows that were available on Crunchyroll very soon. I'm editing right now for a more general. I originally posted it on a forum, so it kind of was for that audience, and I'm trying to edit it up for a more general audience. Plus, we're also on Google Play and on YouTube, but we're way behind on YouTube uh, because we are. That's it. (laughs) 